listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. After eight years of life change and baptisms and salvations, happy birthday! <laughs> Woo! I can't believe, like, when I say to myself, I've been senior pastoring for eight years, I feel like checking myself into a home or something. I have no idea, but happy birthday. We did it. And to those of you that have moved on from New Chapel, but you were part of our foundation. Thank you for your help. We couldn't have done it without you. I've learned that God often sends scaffolding to build buildings. Thank you. You have seed in everything we do. Uh, we are in the second part of our series called Urban Legends, and last week was a riot. If you missed it, you missed half your life. Uh, it was great. And I want to continue with this and really drive home some of the whoppers that I believe that people say with the best intentions that really pull us away from God's best. You know what an urban legend is, right? It's when your sister told you, if you have Pepsi and Mentos, you will explode. You know, I mean, like, that ain't real. And spiritually, there are some thoughts people have about God and the Bible that honestly, if you just reconcile it with a couple of Bible verses, you'd be like, that's not true. But what's dangerous about all of it is that sometimes we hear it from our granny or we hear it from somebody that we love or a preacher and we begin to assimilate those into our belief system. What do we need to do? Get back to the word of God. Uh, I want to share with you a couple of uh, America's favorite scriptures, uh, scriptures Americans love. The first one is this. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Um, what does that mean? And what if I'm on the 12th floor of a building? I don't want a window open. Like, that's not how we're getting out of here. Uh, go throw up the other one, guys. Um, how about this one? Heaven helps those who help themselves. You heard of St. Matthew? This is Mr. Tough Guy uh, who wrote that one. Those are two scriptures that it sounds right. And listen, there might be a sh little shred of truth in it. Like, get out there and get to work. Okay, I, I got you, but... When people need the word of God, some of the things that we just say randomly, it doesn't itch the scratch. Can I hear an amen, church? And so here's what I want to do is I want to just acknowledge that some of you are going through a lot. Some of you are going through it. And, and it could be seasonal. Uh, I know for our house, it's like diaperville. And Kai is almost like taking issue with like it's diaperville for her. You know, she's like, you don't do any of that, you know. Uh, but maybe you're dealing with aging parents. Uh, I dealt with that. Uh, maybe it's, it's something that's just happening in a season of your life where there's different medical concerns or your marriage is facing challenges that you didn't think you were going to have to deal with in the 20, 30th year. Here you are, at least at this age. There is different stresses on that and, and headaches that show up. Or you might be dealing with a changing body and you have arthritis. I understand. I'm sorry about that. And, and, and so there might be a seasonal thing in all of that where you lost some of the people that you loved and now it's a little bit more alone. So there's seasonal things in life and then there's just life. Life will happen. Anybody else learn that lesson? Life just comes in, and it doesn't wait for anybody, and it presses on sometimes sooner than we're ready to press on with it. Some of us are dealing with financial burdens, bankruptcy, bad reports from doctors, relationship issues where it's just blowing up in your face. Some of that's with your significant other. Some of it is with extended family, and it's like, what is this? You know, I'm just getting back to church. I'm just trying to do the right thing, and it's, it's like a time bomb went off in the midst of all of it. Some people in the room, you're battling with depression. 
through your church face and smiling and praise the Lord and high fives, you're still going through it. So what I want to do is just acknowledge that you're going through a lot. I, I heard this from a preacher one time. You're either in a difficult season, about to go into a difficult season, or you just came out of a difficult season. Boy, it gets real quiet when I talk about heavy stuff, but like, think about that. That's true, isn't it? And if we can go there and really think about it, that's, that's the order of life sometimes. And we either get upset about it and get frustrated, or what we can find out is, God, what's really happening? What's really at play here, and how can I leverage the season I'm in to be everything that you've called me to be? Uh, there is a third statement I maybe would want to share. The first two I did uh, already. The, the third one is this, God never gives you more than you can handle. That is an urban legend. Now you say, yeah, man, God, he gives us all kinds of things. Listen, I don't even think that a lot of the things that you receive that are challenging or hard or frustrating, a lot of them aren't even coming from God. So I think that that statement is, is, is uniquely flawed in the presupposition that everything you experience is coming from God. That's not the case at all. And at the same time, I, I think people get that idea and they borrow it as an idea and it's almost a, a colloquialism, but they get it from Scripture. And here's where it is in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. Everybody say tempted. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, like it's going to happen, he'll provide a way out. So that's temptation. That's not talking about trials or, or hardship that we face in life or, or when, when the worst news hits your door. It's not talking about any of that. In fact, I would just say, if you were honest with yourself, you probably already faced things in your life, unless you're living a largely leisurely existence, that have been too big for you that were outside of what you could handle. You might have won and you might have lost, but I think all of us in the room could admit, that's outside of me. That's outside of what I can do. And so understand that, yes, that scripture is true. God won't allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. When you hit that spot, he'll give you a way to escape, but it's not that way with trials. And it's not that way with some of the hardships we face. And that makes you go towards another question. If not everything is coming from God, all the things that we experience, why do bad things happen to good people? We have this idea that, that, that the good people, they should, they should not have to deal with some of the frustrations that we just listed, right? Like, like your grandma, you know, might have died way before she should have, but she was a godly woman. Or we've all heard the story of that, that mom of the year. She was phenomenal and, and got sick with cancer, and it just was never the same. Or, or you hear about the guy that put everything on the line. He was a good businessman. He was doing things in an ethical way, but yet his business closed, and the guy that, that's like a train robber that started a business, he's still succeeding. Like, God, why do bad things happen to good people? I think a lot of us in the room understand when bad things happen to bad people. Let me give you a case in point. You are on 131, obeying the rules. There's a driving lane and a passing lane, not a fast lane and a slow lane. Driving lane, passing lane. And you're in the passing lane. And you've got a big old line of people. Because some guy that defines leadership by everybody following you is up there inside a Ford Fiesta. You know, I mean, just barely getting by street. And you're waiting your turn. And all of a sudden, some hot shot 16-year-old zips by you, flashes sign language at you as they come right in front of you, and you're waiting your place in line. Well, there's an old bull and a young bull. I am the former. And so I wait. 
And it is the most satisfying moment in the world when that little hot shot gets stuck behind a semi and I breeze by and just glance. Just, just let them know you're awful. And so, so <laughs> almost said something different. But we like it when bad people get bad things. It's like high five, go team. Got what was coming to them. Like, like that's awesome to me, right? But, but we don't, and it, it makes you ask why. It, it puts doubt in some people's hearts when bad things happen to good people. It makes us question when innocent kids fall victim to molestation and rape and abuse and neglect and, and depravity, when Afghan Christians are killed because of weak and feckless leadership. And Kaya's mom died of cancer, a woman of God died prematurely. And the question falls into any reasonable person's heart, why? Why in the world are we facing this now? We were trying to do the right thing. This doesn't line up. And for the person that says, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle, go tell that to the kid who's a victim of abuse. It's such backwoods, crazy theology. It makes no sense whatsoever. The reality is we're in a world where where things happen that are outside of our control sometimes. And we have, to, we have to get a handle on this thought line and then a handle on what to do about it. I want to read for you the words of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 16. I'm going to read for you out of the Amplified Version. If you don't know what that is, um, it amplifies the Bible. So it does just what it says. Uh, it's going to give you what the Bible says and then give you some more adjectives based on it. Because English is a limited language and Greek was superior in the way it could describe things. So I want to read this, and I want you really to get it. This is what the Bible says in John 16, and now verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Write it down, church. Jesus didn't promise a problem-free existence. Jesus gave us the power to overcome. Write that down. He gave us the power to overcome the things that we're going through. Now, there are bad things that knock on our door. We've established that. But I think that there's more than just the, the urban legend of, you know, it's all God. Come. There's also, like, reasons people give you once you're in a bad situation, and it can almost be equally as frustrating because it's presented to you as something that's true. It's something that's valid. And just when, like, you know, you're going through a situation, maybe it's a little financial, and everybody gets a bill they weren't expected. I, I don't care what level you're on, right? And your kids are going through a little thing, and then you get a little tiff in your wife. It feels like bricks are getting added onto your chest. You, you start to tailspin, and all of a sudden, the most well-intentioned Christian shows up with this advice. And, and here's what it looks like. These are urban legends. God allows these things because he's going to teach you something. God is going to bring you closer to him. When people face sickness and disease or a bankruptcy or they lost a child, please don't tell that to them because the Bible doesn't convey that at all. You know, the Bible conveys God the Father is a good father, that he gives better gifts to his kids than we could give to our kids. And when you start talking about God trying to teach us with illness, if you put illness on your kid to teach them something, our world, which is jacked, 
would take your kids away from you in a heartbeat, wouldn't they? And, and God says, how much better am I as a parent, as a father than you are? God is not trying to teach people something by giving them sickness, disease, or hardship in their life. He has more effective ways. Well, like what, Pastor? How about the Bible? How about just writing it down? You say, well, Pastor Joe, I went through a hard season of my life, and I got closer to God through it. Praise the Lord. That doesn't take away from my point. It adds to it. You getting closer to God by going through something bad doesn't prove that the bad came to him. It proves that you were doing stuff wrong. You should have got closer to him. Hello. Now, really think about that. That's very profound. When, when God's trying to teach you something. Well, uh, if that's the case, and suffering is going to be the thing that brings you closer to God, well, let's find the most suffering person in the world, and that person should be the most righteous, but we know that's not true. Suffering does not mean uh, holiness or righteousness or any, any kind of influence from God. In fact, if you were closer to God, you wouldn't suppose those things about him. Second thing, people say this, it's crazy, that it's God's judgment. Wrong. It's not God's judgment. A couple of years ago, there was a violent hurricane that went through Louisiana and New Orleans, very similar actually to one that we just had, and it was very devastating this year, but it really hit populated areas, including New Orleans. Well, there were preachers that went on Christian television, and they said, this is the judgment of God on, on Saint, uh, I'm sorry, on, uh, New Orleans and on Louisiana and on all these parishes down there. It's God's judgment, and that's why it wiped them all out. Party foul, okay? If God judged Louisiana, you'd be referring to it as the Gulf of Louisiana, because where the Gulf of Mexico is, there'd be a crater, and it would fill in with the water, and all the wackos would stop complaining about drowning out their coastal cities. Anyway, but praise God. Like, if God judged it, he'd judge it. My big problem with all of that is this. My Bible reads that Jesus took our shame, our punishment, and our judgment on the cross. And so why in the world are we supposing that there's just, well, a little bit extra. I don't want you guys to be wild during Mardi Gras. I mean, really? Think about, in, in, Saint, uh, um, in New Orleans, think about uh, the Christians that live there as well. There's born-again, godly people living a good life, and God's going to judge them with everybody else. See, that's why we can't give simplistic answers to things. There might be a simple answer, but we can't give a simplistic answer. It doesn't make sense. Uh, how about this one? It must be the will of God. My granny would say that all the time, and she meant so well. Well, it didn't happen. Maybe it's a sign. Maybe it just must not be God's will. Honey, God's will doesn't always happen. Ask Eve and Adam whether God's will always happens. They went against God's will, right? People have a choice, and that's sometimes horrifying. Spe yeah, move on. It's only sin that brings bad things on you. Only sin. Well, let me explain this. God's blessing is like an umbrella, and if you're under his covering, if you're, if you're doing your best you can to stay in the will of God, there is a blessing over that, and it is dangerous to go out from the blessing of God because you're going to suffer the consequences that you would, just like you'd get wet going outside from an umbrella if it's raining outside. However, to say that that's the reason why anybody goes through hard things, I think that that's very simplistic. There are all kinds of sins that happen in the Bible, all kinds of hard things that people faced in your life, even in your personal life, your decisions that you made that had nothing to do with sin. It just happened. It happened in this world. And so 
Don't think that that is an accurate thing all the time. Maybe there's some self-examination, but that's largely a Gnostic view of the Bible, or you could even say a New Age karma view of the Bible. So those are, those are some of the urban legends that people say in our everyday life. But the question was, why do we face more than we can handle, and why do bad things happen to good people? I want to explain this in a way that you're going to get. I love that. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Job, if you would. The book of Job. It's in the Old Testament. Old Job is a friend of mine. It is actually the oldest book in your Bible. It predates Genesis. Now, Genesis has the earlier narrative, but Job was the first book written in the canon, and I want you to remember that as we approach it. But I want to read an interaction, a very strange interaction in between God and Satan himself. It's found in Job chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Pause. Everybody look at me. Two-thirds of heaven's angels stayed with God. One-third of heaven's angels left. They fell, and and they, they went against the grain. They went against God. They still all have to come to God and give an account to him of the activities of what they're doing and what's going on in the world. So the angels came. One of those angels is Satan. That's all he is, is one fallen angel. Understand that. Satan, the accuser, the Bible says, came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Now, a casual reader would read that and say, like, I don't understand why that's significant. Satan is popping off at God. See, the earth is not supposed to be fair game for Satan. He's not supposed to be here. And what he's doing is he's popping off to God, and he's saying, look, you know that earth you created for man? I'm walking all over it. It's mine. Now, I can't go deep in this, but I want to give you some context. Adam and Eve were given something by God. It was charge over the world. The Bible often uses the word dominion in Genesis. They were given dominion over the world. You could think of that dominion like authority or, or like in our modern times like a lease. Imagine God owns the world. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? He owns the world, but he's giving this lease to Adam. And Adam, you need to have dominion in this world. You need to hold this world together and make sure everything's kept up. It wasn't just the garden. It was the whole world. When Adam and Eve sinned, we just think that they fell spiritually, and they did. The lights went out for sure. But they also gave the authority, the dominion is the Bible word. They handed that over to Satan, God's enemy. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians, New Testament, 4.4. You can remember that, write that down, check me on it. 2 Corinthians 4.4, that Satan is the God of this world. Well, God's in control. Okay, I'm going to blow your religious mind, but your spirit is going to jump. If God's in control of everything, he's doing an awful job. Why do we have tsunamis? Why do we have earthquakes? Why are the kids getting taken advantage of? If God's in some sterile robotic control over everything, it ain't looking good. But if we believe the, the, the Bible narrative that mankind fell and gave the authority over to Satan, then you have to believe that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, lowercase g, by the way, that he is, is fumbling to try to control it, and that's why we experience the ravages that we have. And guys, you have to realize that man was created for so much more and that we're living in less than, than because, because mankind gave it over, and that's a big significant. So Satan pops off to God. I'm walking all over earth. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Again, a casual reading from, from, from somebody that, that doesn't know. They would read this and say, God's delivering up one of his best guys. That's not what's happening at all. God is actually conveying this. I'm not going to let you pop off at me. We're going to get down to business. You're here about Job. Tell me. And I'll explain that in a minute. Now, he has to give a full account to God. And you think, well, why is that a big deal? It means that God has full disclosure on any attack of the enemy against your life. And that the enemy, even when he tries to give you a personal attack, God knows all the details about it, which means God Almighty has the answer. That's a big deal. And so the enemy has to give him all of that. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge of protection around him? Everybody say the word hedge. Remember that word. You've made a hedge of protection around him, around his household, around all that he's had on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands and the possessions have increased in the land. What's happening here? Satan is doing a couple of things. Number one, he's citing a hedge, a shield of protection that God has put around Job and ultimately saying that the hedge is flawed in some way. And number two, he's talking around the subject. He's not addressing what, the information he needs to give God, and he will give the information to God in a second. And so he's snidely citing the whole and attributing even the cause of anything that's going to happen to some sort of failure in the hedge. Verse 11, but now, Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, the misguided theologian or the simplistic professor or pastor will say, there it is. God is, is, is working with the devil almost, handing Job over, saying, you know, okay, I hear what you want to do. Go ahead, sick him. That's not what's happening at all, even in the slightest. We think that God is giving him permission to go get Job. That's not what's happening. This isn't a statement of permission that God's making it's a statement of fact. Remember what I just said? The authority and dominion went to the enemy, and what God is saying is, you know, you, you go do it. It's, it's in your power. God's not, not granting this to Satan in a poetic way. He's saying it's in your power to do it. What isn't in his power? Don't touch his person. Well, if you read Job, you'll find out incredibly wealthy, I think the wealthiest guy on earth at the time. He was married, had kids, had livestock, had a big operation going on. He was a ranch man, okay? And, and God says, you can touch all these things, but don't touch his person. We're going to talk about that in a second. Very, very significant. Do you guys remember those commercials? And every once in a while, I see them. I don't know why at movie theaters is when I see them, but it's an insurance commercial, and it's the mayhem commercials. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those are my favorite. It's so funny. To give you an idea, they're trying to sell insurance, but they do it in a funny way about how mayhem happens, but they try to personify mayhem as this really funny character. And the one that I think about is like, I'm a raccoon, you know, and he's going through trash and stuff like that and causing, you know, just, just havoc in, in these people's lives. And ultimately, he's called mayhem. That's his literal name, and it was a great campaign, but that's what I want to show you is that, that that's what the world's in. It's in mayhem. It's in corruption. This, this world looks a little bit like what God made it to be and a lot different than what it originally was intended to be in this world. And so when you ask the question, why do we face more than we can handle? Why do bad things happen to good people? The two reasons are already clear. Number one, we live in a fallen, sinful world. 
This world is sinful. You're going to sin and cause issues in your own life. Other people are going to sin against you, cause issues in your own life. And then number two, you have a real enemy. We just read about Satan going up and personally addressing Job. And so you have an enemy that wants to eat your lunch. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's two reasons. There's one more I'll share with you. The story goes on, and it's a bright, shiny, happy story to the max. Job loses his family. Uh, his wife eventually dies. His kids die. All of his wealth and livestock are taken from him, and he gets struck with disease. And Job, as you'll find out as we're preaching today, was a sincere person. He really loved God, but he didn't know God. And remember, first book of the Bible, there's no Bible for him to read. And so he's not ascribing bad to God, but he has some bad beliefs. This is what happens in Job 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe and shaved his head. This is very Jewish. They would try to express on the outside that they're hurting on the inside. He fell to the ground and he worshiped and he said, Naked I came in from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What is that saying? Question. Who said that? God or Job? Job said that. God didn't say that, right? Job said that. And the Bible's showing us right here that he's not sinning. He didn't sin or charge God with wrong. He's sincere in his heart. I'm going to blow your mind for a second, and it's going to help. Not everything in your Bible is true. Everything in your Bible is truly stated. Ready for an example that will make it all come together? There's a story in the Bible that Judas went and hung himself, and there's another passage that says, go and do likewise. You believe that? It's true that he did it. There's enemies of God, like, like think of Goliath that was popping off. Well, the things that he said aren't true, even though it's truly stated that he said those things in the Bible. Are we trekking together? You're getting ready to walk out on me for a second. Relax. And so Job truly said those words, but those words are lies. They're false. It's bad doctrine. You can't build a life off from the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Lottery be his will. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Roll the dice. You get what you get. You can't build a life off from that. You can't trust somebody like that. Can you build a relationship with somebody that's wishy-washy? You ever dated a girl or a guy that hot one minute, cold the next, over here, over there? You, you talk about being exclusive, and all of a sudden they're running around. It's a living hell to be in a relationship like that. God's not like that. Well, wait a second. What's the litmus test? What's the challenge here so we know what we read in the Bible is true or whether it's just something somebody said even though we just read that they're a good person and they're not sinning in their heart, they're not ascribing sin to God, how do we know? The standard for your theology is always Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Why does the thief come? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is saying this. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is your God creating the great dividing line of the Bible. He's saying the bad that happens in this world comes from your enemy. You have an enemy, Christian. And the good that comes, it's coming from me. God doesn't have sickness or disease to give you. Heaven doesn't have it. 
And so here's what happens, is when you get some of this backwoods, urban legend Christianity, some of these wild scriptures, and they mean well when they say it, here's what happens. You have to redefine what good means in order for it to fit. the. Well, you know, you must have got this disease because God's trying to teach you something, but God's good. What? That's nuts, right? I think we could go out to Alpine Avenue with some of those people trying to cross the expressway area, just average folk be like, hey, is that good or bad? It's bad, right? Everybody knows that. You have to redefine what good and bad actually mean if you're going to make it fit into the theology that Job had. Well, Pastor Joe, the Bible says that he was a perfect and upright man. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinner. It doesn't mean that everything that he said was right. Obviously, there's something else at play. So it's Jesus as the standard for our theology. Write that down. That's massive. Jesus never killed a person. He never put sickness on a person, never abused a person. You bring your Bible up here and show me any of that, and I would show you that Jesus is the express image of the Father. He said, I only do the things I see my Father do. I only say the things I hear my Father say. When you see Jesus, that's the will of God in person, incarnate. So you try to ascribe all kinds of wild things that God's putting on people. It doesn't fit, Jack. It doesn't fit. When we settle that bedrock layer of theology, you will breeze through the Bible because you'll understand so much more of it. i got to move on. So, moving on in our narrative, Job is totally confused. Before his wife dies, she goes up to Job and says, Why don't you just curse God and die? When I read that in my Bible, I looked over at Kai and said, How'd you like to wake up to that lady every morning? She eventually dies. She was a real sweetheart. Job's friends come over. And Job's friends, I think, are well-intentioned. But here's what they do. And this is most of the book of Job. They, they ponder and pine and guess about what's happening. When your friend is going through some of their worst moments in their life, your relative, your mom, your, your sister, you know what they don't need? is for you to guess about why this is happening. Maybe you could just be like, I'm here for you. And the Bible says, blessed are those that mourn. We mourn over a lot of things, not just death. Sometimes it's a big loss. And just call them up and cry with them on the phone. I can't believe it happened. Why did it happen? They're not really looking for the answer when they say, why is this happening? And be there with them. Be like Jesus with them. We can answer the why later. Let's, let's help people. But, but the friends show up. And one friend lands on that topic we just talked about, which is, well, somebody must have sinned. And Job, you sinned, and that's why this is all happening. And whether or not he did, um, we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, that is super limited. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 9, the Bible records a man who was blind from birth. He was born blind. And the disciples take him up to Jesus and say, Jesus, which one sinned, his parents or him that caused this man to be blind? You know what Jesus says? Neither, but that the works of my Father should be made known, be healed, and he heals the guy. But what did Jesus say? It wasn't his parents' sin, and it wasn't his sin. Sometimes deformities, issues, conflict happens, and it has nothing to do with something you did. And people try to do absolute origami to the whole thought of a generational curse to make it something your great uncle said back in you know, the 1830s that it's now, that's karma. And it's old wives' tales, and we got to get rid of that junk. Make sense? 
So here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus healed him. Well, Pastor Joe, are you trying to say that it's not sin that made that guy blind? I thought you said that sin, when, when Adam sinned, that, that, that's what brought death and sin into the world. Adam's sin caused that boy to be blind. Just the fallen world. And we already said that, right? And so really think about this. It is not your sin that makes you a sinner. Although you were a sinner before Christ, and we still sin even after Christ from time to time, don't we? And in the same way, it's not your righteousness that makes you righteous. It's Jesus' righteous. Make sense? And so sometimes these things are aside from us, and we have to realize that that is at play. Romans 5, for by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Sometimes people are born on the wrong side of the tracks or with a deformity or with an issue, and it has nothing to do with them or their family or anything anybody's done. It's because the devil hates your gut. You were made in the image of God. You look just like him, and he'd just assume rip you off is anybody else. That's hard to hear. What am I saying? It's mayhem. And although it's mayhem, when you accept Jesus as Lord, you withdraw from the system of the God of this world. What happened at the end of the story? Jesus healed the boy. Okay, back to Job. We got to go back. The story continues. Job is beginning to see the light. And uh, there is a cause, church, that we can avoid. Do you remember when I brought up Job's hedge? Very interesting. Satan mentioned it because he knew that there was a hole in it. Job chapter 3. Why is light given to a man, Job is saying this, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? It goes on to say, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. What is the hole in Job's hedge, and what is the hole in so many of our shield that God has put around us as born-again believers? Fear is like blood to a shark when it comes to attack from an enemy. When you have fear in your life, and you're worried about everything, and you're anxious, and you're staying up all night, and you're writhing your hands and hurting your fingernails because you're messing with them all the time, biting them off and spitting them all over the place, and you can't breathe right, you find you get sick easier because you're full of worry and fear, it is an open door for the enemy. It's an open door. And like any other thief, he's an opportunist. He's going to walk by everybody, but when he sees the open door, that's the place he's going to shake up first. And that's what Job was trying to say. Write it down. Why do we face more than we can handle? Why do bad things happen to good people? We expose ourselves to attack with fear and worry. Wow. That is such a huge deal. Now, toward the end of all of this book, Job sees what's going on and he repents. Well, I thought there was none blameless. Again, he's not, he's not without any fault. He's blameless, but he's not sinless. He's got something he needs to admit to God. Job 42, verses 3, and then I'll jump to verse 6. Job says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Verse 6, Therefore I abhor myself and repent. When it says things too wonderful for me, this is just like Job's friends that are coming around and wondering what the issue is and pining about it and, and, and scratching around, mining out the answer, what it might be. Job is saying, I didn't know. I didn't have a handle on what God was doing or what the enemy was doing. And so it was too wonderful for me. I did not know. I've uttered things I didn't understand. I abhor myself and repent. What is he repenting of? the two things I just brought out to you. More to be sure. But the primary, he repents of saying 
the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's why I laugh when I hear people quote that as though that's the answer. It is so misused. People use that for, for awful things. Death, I mean, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the Lord gives. Lord. They say, that, but also somebody's dog dies. Well, Lord gives, Lord takes away. And it's just not true. He repented of saying it. I've uttered things I didn't understand. And then he's also repenting of being full of fear. You can't say that the guy wasn't humble, can you? That's why God said, this is my guy. This is my guy. Now, watch what happens. This is like two scriptures later, two verses later. When, when he repents and turns to God, Job 42 and verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I want you to see this. Indeed, the Lord gave. What did Job repent of? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. How does God have it written in his eternal word forever? Indeed, the Lord gave. He corrects the bad doctrine. The Lord gives, the devil takes away, and the Lord gives again. That is your God. Take it to the bank. Say amen, somebody. Come on. I'm up here serving a meal. And so listen, here's what I want you to see with all of this. The, the, the book of Job conveys he had double what he had lost. So any money that he had, double. Any kids, double. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. God, protect my kids. <laughs> protect them all their lives. I don't want any more, God. Take them back. <laughs> They're angels. Oh, love you, Jesus. He had double the kids. His wife was kind of half the woman, the one that died. So I'm just assuming he doesn't have two wives. You know, he's got one really good wife, like Kaya. And so, so here's what I want you to see through all of this. The Lord gives indeed, write it down, the heart of God is not to destroy, it's to bless. You can't make a case in Scripture otherwise. It, it's not there, bub. I'd bet my house, my car, and all of my livelihood on it. I'd be just like Job if you could prove me wrong. You can't. It's just not there. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation. What does that mean? Oh, he's hot and he's cold. He's changing. No, no variation. No shadow of turning. Oh, they sinned. Thou slothful servant. Get the lightning bolts, boys. No shadow of turning. This tells me the character of God can be trusted. Wow. Okay. In the moments that we have left, how do you get out or how do you avoid bad situations, the, the tribulations, the issues that we face in life? I'm glad y'all asked. Y'all set me up so well in these messages. Second Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power is given to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Three things quickly. Number one, you need to know that God has the answer. He has full disclosure on your problem. But he's also written the answer to your problem. What does it say? That the grace and peace would be multiplied to our life through the knowledge of God, our Lord. We have to understand that there's something behind all of this that we have a part to play in. That's number two. 
Number two, write it down. Find God's answer and pursue it. What does it say? That through the knowledge of him and these exceeding great and precious promises, that's how you're going to avoid the corruption of the world. God made promises to you in his word. Here's what I think Grand Rapids deals with. Just because you believe God can doesn't mean that you believe that he can for you, that you believe that he will for you. That's what, that's what Western Michigan chokes on. I think any church that we'd find, Alpine Avenue all the way down to Byron Center, you go and ask, can God do it? God can do it. The doubt is, will God do it for you? Wouldn't it be nice if we could know he's giving you great, exceedingly great, precious promises that are for you in your life, promises for your marriage that they be days of heaven on earth. You're, you're like, I, I think I'm like on the realm of spiritual, but I don't know if it's heaven. I got you. There's promises for that. There's promises for your kids that they would walk in their purpose in a godly way. If you raise them up in the way they shouldn't go, I can say this with a fair degree of, of, of certainty. If you raise them in a godly way, they'll be godly parents. They'll be Christians. Oh, no, I knew a lot of PK. Listen, they must not have been trained up in the way they should go because God's word works. I've known Christians and PKs that, I tell you what, one PK I knew, she was Beelzebub. <laughs> Closest thing to a demon walking I've ever met. And Kai, if anybody else says those things about you, babe, I'm just, oh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you hot, but you ain't a demon. Okay. I got a license to do that, so, okay. <laughs> you have to settle the fact that God wants to do it, and he wants to do it for you. And there's promises in his word that would show you that. Hosea, the Bible says in the Old Testament, that my people are destroyed. How? For lack of knowledge. My people. Can I put it this way? Good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? They're destroyed because they don't know. That's a blind spot, right? You're driving down the road. You have a blind spot. The hard thing about a blind spot is you don't see what you don't see. You need somebody else. That's why we have the groups fair out there, by the way. Sign up for a small group. You need somebody else on the journey with you being like, hey, you, you got a blind spot. You're going to hit them. You're going to mess this up. And I'm not talking about Job's friends. I'm talking about people that are going to show you in the word of God how not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, how to be strong in your faith, stand on the word of God. That's what you need, right? And so how are we destroyed? Lack of knowledge. You don't know the great and precious promises that he has for your finances, your marriage, for you personally, for your mental health, for your family, for your finances. Come on. Number three, walk in victory and focus on eternity. Both. I don't want to separate these into two points. I'm going to tell you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, this is not to say that these things come from God, but it is to say this. When you're suffering for God's sake, when you're facing these hard things and you feel weak, I can't do it anymore. I can't take another step. I can't take another breath. I'm telling you, the Bible says when you're weak, he's strong. There's an exchange that he wants to do there. The times in this church over the last eight years where I faced the most grievous news you've ever heard in your life. I mean, just things that I was like, I, they didn't teach us this in Bible school. Where was this? 
I had one guy, twerp, talking smack about me for years. And he would have an incredible ministry if he could get me occupying real estate out of his head. But he would talk smack about me. You know the people that ever talk smack about me, you know one thing they could never attack? My integrity. They never even try. They never try. But it's hard. I'm not bougie, bougie, big time in anybody. But do you understand that you're all just one of me? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of conversation to go around, and people think things, and that can be heart-wrenching. I told you that no one is immune from getting a big bill in the mail. I remember sometimes in this church where I got the invoice, and I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't even have half the money to pay it. And so what I had to do was, <laughs> guy's laughing this hard. There's nothing else to do, right? I looked at Kai and I said, well, we've got this little chunk of money. Let's sow it into the kingdom of God. Let's give it to a ministry and believe God for sowing and reaping. And wouldn't you know, God's word works. We'd sow it into the ministry and the money would come in like a harvest. We wouldn't be expecting it. And I'd, I'd rate the check and I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, this is when a $10,000 check was like mind blowing to me. And now this church blows money. You wouldn't even, I'd, what? For heat? Anyway. I faced grievous things. There was a time where we were evicting uh, a person that was our tenant over here. And this person wasn't paying rent. And they didn't pay rent for over six months. But it was part of, of the reason why we even qualified to own this building. And I had, a, I had a bigger staff than I have right now at that time. I had to go without a paycheck for six, seven months in that season to make sure my staff got paid and all the bills got paid because my name was on the line. I had never shared that publicly. There it is. But you know what? I trust God. I'm willing. In fact, in that season, we even sowed money into the church in savings to make sure that everything would get by. Again, they can't come across my integrity. Hard. So I go off on a hunt with a pastor friend of mine, pastor's conference, really kind of get built back up. I shoot this awesome monster buck. It's hanging inside my, my office. And uh, I get off the hunt. Five minutes after I check my email, I find out that we're getting countersued for bogus reasons by this tenant. What? That's heart-wrenching. Now, I will say this. We were able to settle that thing. Their whole claim was bogus. We got all of our money in the settlement. But then when it came time to pay the piper, she didn't pay all of it. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not complaining. I'm trying to air out dirty laundry. I'm trying to say I'm not immune from any of this stuff. And it's not because I'm a rank sinner. Like, I have sin, believe me, but I'm, it's not karma. It's because the devil hates my guts, hates it when Christians start running after him with everything they can, hates when influence starts happening, hates when culture starts to break open. Do you know that abortions went down significantly when Facebook first became popular? But with their algorithm, they changed it, and so now that, that information isn't getting out like before, so they're coming back again. See, if, this, if we were allowed to democratically just be like, hey, here it is, it'd be different. But see, the enemy curbs all that, doesn't he? He curbs it. So here's what I want you to understand. We need to know God, walk in victory. I was victorious in all of those situations. However, I had to go through all of those situations. Now, this world is decaying, and the stakes are high. why I'm going this direction. The day before our Christmas service at this church, 2017, I get a call at 10.30 at night. My nephew, who I loved, who was like a son to me, had passed.
passed away in a car accident. And I went to go be with my sister. I was, I was blindsided. I can take hard news with the best of them. I never heard anything. I'm just, that rocked me. And I got in and hugged my sister and we held each other. And Jamie said, why? And I'm smart enough not to answer. I don't know. Hugged and bawled my eyes out with hard things. Scraped myself together and somehow came up the next day to go put on Christmas for everybody. Now I told everybody what was happening at that service so they knew that I wasn't a disingenuous person. A, that's why I don't understand some of the wild excuses some people give for whatever. But number two, that this place has brought freedom into my life and that there's victory in this place. But ultimately, you have to focus on eternity. I told you that Kaya's mom died of cancer, right? She was a woman of God, a pastor's wife. She had prayed for people, and we had watched miracles happen because she prayed for people. But yet, she died of cancer. So when she died, the family had to do some archaeology. Like, what was that? What happened? And before God, I know this, if I didn't let her story help other people, when I get to heaven, she's going to wring my neck because Johanna was tough cookie. So I'm going to tell off a little bit of family family stuff. For a year, God spoke to her about going in and getting tested, and she didn't do it. Again, faith calls those things which be not as though they were, not those things which are as though they aren't. She should have done that. And God can choose to heal however he wants, right? When she finally did it, it had metastasized, and there was issues there. And Johanna, trying to be led by the Holy Spirit, but dealing with some control issues, managed things that maybe she shouldn't have been messing with. Pastor Eric would tell you that when she passed away, that Johanna had a hard time receiving. Just receiving from God. Free gift, I could just take the healing. That we had to read more and do more and confess more. And I'm a confession dude, but it's not by your works. Faith is not a topic, it's a person. Make sense, everybody? Why am I sharing this with you? We are not immune from hardship. And I believe more than most preachers in this city, that God wants you to walk in victory in the here and now. But hear me, if the worst thing that the devil can do to you is kill you and you die and go to heaven, friend, there is an eternity to gain. Praise God, somebody. There are great and exceeding precious promises from God that you can walk in and see his victory. But if all else fails... And Johanna messed up with this, that. Well, who cares? She's walking on streets of gold. She's living a life eternal that the worst thing you can do to a Christian is kill him. So we go to heaven. My friend, listen to me. Bad things happen to good people. And those things that come are not all from God. You have an enemy, a fallen world. Don't open the door to the enemy with your fear. Be vigilant with your faith. Stand on the word of God and you will see his victory. Y'all get anything out of this? Praise God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I know that this is bringing relief to people all over the room. That New Chapel is a church that thinking people love to attend. God, I thank you that some of the, some of the dots were, were lined up. They, they can see some holes were filled in. And God, understanding is brewing. But God, I pray that it's not just so that we can know so much. I pray that it helps them in their everyday life, that they would be diligent disciples standing on your word. 
God, I pray for those people that are going through trial and hardship right now, that they would understand that there's a church in Grand Rapids ready to give a hand up in Jesus' name. And Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed all over this room. If you're not right with God for whatever reason, whatever that even means, don't leave this place without making it right today. How do I make things right with God? The truth is he already made them right with you. He sent his son, his only son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life here on earth. He died on a cross with your name on it, paid the price for your sin. And the Bible says that when we don't call Satan the God of this world anymore and we call Jesus Lord or God over our life, when we finally say we're not such a good Lord over our life, we call Jesus Lord. The Bible says that you're saved. And that includes victory for today. It includes you being able to have an eternity with him in heaven and you avoid a Christless hell. And hell's real. There's a massive consequence to all of this. So if you want God, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, the door is open. How do you do it? We're going to say a prayer. If you really mean it from your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. If you say it like a religious act, if you say it like it's poetry, friend, you'll leave the same way you came in. But I believe in my heart that there's people in the sound of my voice today that are ready to make this decision for God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pray this prayer with me out loud. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit in me. I receive all of what you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hey, louder than that, church. Come on, somebody. If you accepted Christ in this place, the reason why we go bananas when that happens is because we said that prayer, and we know the freedom that's on the other end of all of it. We're proud of you. Great job. I'm not going to call you forward or anything like that. There's public things like baptism. This is between you and God. However, let us know about the decision you made on one of the connection cards we talked about, or you can come up here and receive prayer if you really want. But we want to send you a note talking about next steps God has for you in your faith. You need to get plugged into a local church. You need to get baptized. God has a purpose for your life. We want to show you those things, so be bold and take that next step. And I give you permission. If you came with somebody and they accepted Christ today, grab them and get them to fill out that card at least so that way we can get that information into their hands. One more time, church. Aren't we proud of those people that accepted Christ? Stand up with me. Hey, did y'all get anything out of today's message? Was that good? I'm glad it was. I have a couple of announcements before we dismiss. Uh, the first of which is uh, we've had uh, two services since I began to announce this, but people have asked about religious exemption letters. And every time I do it, we go out of all of them for both services. There's more, I guess, services right now. Sick them. If you need them, 
feel free. And then number two, if you go to newchapel.com slash religious exemption, you can download that there. And this works for public schools, universities, your employer, and etc. Christians have the right to refuse service, uh, any medical treatment, in fact, on religious grounds. It's one of your most sacred rights that you have. If you need it, go get it. If you're vaccinated, praise the Lord. Not my problem. And so uh, next thing. We're having what we're calling the Let's Meet Newcomers Reception. It's going to be on September 26th after service. So if you've been coming to the church uh, for the last little bit, anytime really in the last six months, maybe this week's your first week, welcome home. Uh, we'd love to be able to meet you. My wife and I want to learn your name, the staff, some of our key leaders. And we're going to go back. Uh, the map is on the posters, you might have noticed. But it's a room just off uh, past the bathrooms where we'd love to be able to have some dessert and talk about who we are as a church and really just share our stories. I loved it. Uh, last year. Ron, that's where I learned your name and, and many others in the room. And uh, guys, it's going to be great. So be there next week. And then also our groups, our next semester of small groups start next week. Go out to the groups fair out in the lobby and sign up. One little shout out, the Decoding Revelation series was a hit last fall and winter. I would encourage you if you've never gone to it, it is super interesting. It's talking about the times that we live in. You see every evangelical leader tell you something's up, something's up, everybody. But I, I can't just tell you in 30 minutes. I want you to have an understanding of the times that we live in. And, uh, and then finally, as you leave today, make sure that you go out, grab some health food, some of those little cupcakes. I prayed over them. They're all calorie and carb free. In Jesus' name. Maybe. Okay. Would you lift your hands for the blessing? Kai, why don't you come up here? Give it up for my beautiful wife. Sweetheart. Fifth kid, maybe. The, <laughs> how do you be spiritual right after that? I don't know. But they love us, so we'll just let it go. You guys love the Lord? There we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, you're dismissed. Have a great week. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.